okay? We're looking at creating spiritual atmospheres over, the, over our life, our family, and our workplace. Last week, I gave us some examples, insights of how we can do this, create a spiritual atmosphere over our workplace, over our family, over our neighborhood. You know, every, I, I gave you five miraculous stories that God has done with me, with this church. I told you how God had literally cleared pubs. How God had, um, what was the other one? The two pubs. Ashton, how we cleared Ashton out, flushed the enemy out uh, of uh, God's territory. Yeah? And uh, that was something we did under the instruction of the Holy Spirit, gather the churches and then begin to pray. And we did it. We did, you know, he didn't say suggest. He said, just flush the enemy out. And it's amazing, you know, you can get churches from all different walks, all different backgrounds, but yet when they unite together, God moves. If you'd have sat down in that room and asked them what their theology was on demonology, there'd have been many. But all he said, gather them together and just go on the street, start praying. And that act alone began to fundamentally change something in the atmosphere over Ashton. It really did. Now, can you imagine if the church could do that more often? Can you imagine if the church could just get on the streets and begin to pray you know, the tree of Tameside would respond a lot quicker. It really would. Prophecy does not fulfill itself. God gives it to a generation for a generation to pray. And when that generation begins to pray, it changes the atmosphere. You know, when we say, oh, no, it's, it wasn't the time. No, it wasn't the time because the atmosphere was clogged. Once we get the atmosphere, frequency clear in the atmosphere, it's amazing what God will do. Hello? You know, you can go into your home and there can be confusion, can't there? Have you ever gone home and, had, and, and been in confusion in your home with your children? Hello? Come on, be a bit responsive this morning. Keep alive. Right. It's words that create peace. It's words that create frustration. It's words that create the atmosphere in your home. Is it not? Right then. So if you can bring the right words in and you can pray the right kind of prayers into your home, you can change the atmosphere in your home. Irrespective of the family being in hardships and trouble, you, as the man or woman of God in your home, can begin to affect the atmosphere. You know, when you go to work on a Monday morning, you carry an atmosphere. You know, you see some, some Christians, they've got a face like, like they're sucking lemons. And they're going to work with the joy of the Lord. And that face alone carries its own atmosphere. You know, some people you'll keep away from because you only have to look at them once and you know they're carrying an atmosphere. True? And other people, it's amazing how much a smile can disarm someone. The Bible says a gentle answer turns away wrath. So what does a gentle answer do? It changes the atmosphere. So words, words change atmospheres. Body language creates atmospheres. Yes? Everything is about an atmosphere. It was, I think it was Phil was telling me that in certain industries, now you're not allowed to wear a red tie when you go into a boardroom because the red is so strong and powerful, it sets an image. Yes, only if you're intimidated by the color red. Why should a tie, a red tie, you know, cause problem? It's because insecure people in that room are taken by a color. 
Wear a blue one, it's a lot better. Seriously, how can a tie put me off? But it does, it has a psychological effect. But once you know that, you can resist the force. Obi-Wan. So Joshua 4.10, we read this scripture last week. And uh, for those who are playing catch-up, obviously you're on the podcast, hopefully. And that's, why we, that's why we put it there in case you, you miss it. You can pick up all this, what we're saying. Joshua 4.10, it says, Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. Well, Israel moved in the desert, so here I am totally, here I am today, 85 years old today. Doc, next week, 85 years old. I'm still strong today. As the day Moses sent me out, I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. This is an 85-year-old man talking to us. You yourself heard then the, the uh, Anakites were there and their cities were very large and fortified, but the Lord is helping me and I, and I will drive them out just as he said. We said that Caleb had lived on the promises of God for 45 years. That's a long time to live on the promises of God. Who's got some... Who's been living on some promises you're waiting to be cashed in? Right. So take hope, it took him 45 years. That's okay. The fact that we've got the promise in our heart is enough. It's a secure, it's secured. You know, the Holy Spirit has, de- has deposited our inheritance in our hearts. Now, how long are you going to wait? Well, it depends how long you live. Right? But the issue is, the falseness of that thought is I have to die to inherit. You don't have to die to inherit what God has given us. You can inherit it today and start living off it today. All the blessings of heaven are available now. Live in the days of heaven here on earth. That's the whole concept of your kingdom come on earth. Heaven must touch the earth and you are carriers of heaven. So we don't have to die before we start experiencing heaven. Read the church we see. There's heaven in the believer right there. You may not believe that. So Caleb lived on the promises of God for 45 years. So must you. So must you. Caleb had been kept alive for 45 years since Moses, Moses had prophetically spoke it to him. So when God spoke the last word to you, right? If you've not had a prophetic word, say for 20 years, that's because you don't need another one. The one that was spoken to you, the last one was spoken to you, was more than enough. In fact, every time I get a prophetic word over me, it means trouble. It means I'm going to have to change, I'm going to have to expand, I'm going to have to uh, change a lot of things in my life. Why? Because what that prophetic word is saying to me is, Tony, get ready. I'm about to move in your life, I'm about to do things in your life, I'm giving you a heads up right now. What most people do, they collect prophecies like they collect stamps. They shove them in a book, and in the book they stay. A a prophecy was never given to you to put in a book. Pray life into it. It's your life. It's your life. And you only know a part. That's not. And if you think you've got the full understanding, you're wrong. Because just as you think you've worked it out, God does something, and you think, well, does that mean this now? Is it all gone? If it was that easy to work out, that's why the word comes again. 
And again, that's why the prophetic word comes in the mouth of two and three witnesses. See, two years ago, two years ago, I was in one meeting and God began to give me this word, prophetic word, such as I'd never had before. It was a stonker. Do you know what I mean by a stonker? It was a full-on prophetic word. It was heavy, but it was encouraging. And I thought, wow, that's a biggie. That's a doozy. It's a doozy one, that. And then when I was in Malaysia this a uh, couple of weeks ago, I received the second part of what I originally received. Now, I thought the first part was all I needed. But then the second part came, and it still left me with questions. But it gave me some answers. It gave me answers to the first one, but left me with more questions. Does that make sense? And then I read something that really put my heart at peace. And I began to say that about this whole thing on prophecy, God will use the mouth of two and three witnesses to make things clear. Tony, don't freak out about it. Just live in what you do understand. And what you don't understand, if he sent another prophet to speak to you, why can't he send another one? And who's ever thought you may not be ready yet to enter into it fully? Are you awake this morning? So, do you think 45 years it took for Caleb to get this word? Do you think Caleb was ready the first day it was spoken? Come on, be honest with yourself. Do you think think you're ready the first day that God speaks it to you? But God knows that, but he still gives you hope. He sows these words into our hearts to give us hope. But then guess what? You then got to get ready. You've got to get ready. And you've got to let him get you ready. You're very quiet. That's why some of you are going nowhere. Because you won't let him get you ready. So what God keeps speaking to us. Now here's the question I put to you last week. And I put to you again this week. What are you being kept alive for? If God kept him alive for 45 years, how many battles do you think he encountered? Quite a few. God kept him alive for 45 years so he could go and take his mountain. What is God keeping you alive for? If you're going nowhere, you're doing nothing, you might as well go home now and enjoy God in his fullness. But I believe I'm on this earth for a purpose. And listen, it's not enough just to, to, to get caught up in that sentiment. We all like the idea of living. We, don't, we all like the idea of going to heaven. We just don't like how it might happen. True? We just don't like the sudden stop at the end. I believe heaven, but some days I think about how am I going to get there might be a little bit. I just think I wish I could do the Star Trek thing. Just close my eyes, want to beam up. Set me up now, Lord. Let there be pain-free. Carol say, no, Lord, let me have a piece of him before you take him up. But just, I just that's all I want. Do you, is that wrong to think like that? No, but I know that I've still got a life to live. I've still got responsibilities on this earth. I still live with a kingdom mandate inside my heart. Church is not the only concern I have. I have a concern of taking the kingdom to the world. Not just going to church. That's a, that's, a, that's a concern that really does affect my heart. The kingdom. Caleb was old in his body, but he was determined in his spirit. I said to you last year, there is no age on your spirit. 
There is no age on your spirit. Why? Because your spirit is eternal. Your body is old. Your body gets old. The moment you're born, set this little one here, he's getting older. In one sense, you could say he's decaying. It sounds harsh, that, but it's true. We grow, we peak, and then we decline. But this guy didn't decline. 85 years, he still wanted to go to battle. He still wanted his mountain. I want my mountain. Amen? And he was just as strong as the day it was spoken. How many of us want to wane in our faith? From the moment God speaks to us, quite a lot. Then he says, give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. He'll not stop until he gets his mountain. What will stop you from getting your mountain? Do you even know what your mountain looks like? Gone quiet. Come on, I'm encouraging you. Think about these things. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You need to know what your mountain is. It's amazing. When you're young, you, you just push yourself into your careers and you think that's the mountain, but that's not the mountain. Once you've got a job, what do you do then? You've still got a mountain. Spiritually, you must conquer territory. There were cities that were large and were fortified cities, but the Lord is helping me, he says, and I will drive them out just as he has said. See, that's a man of faith and confidence. He's believing that God. It doesn't matter how, what, how big those mountains are, God will help me drive out. God will help me get to the place I need to get to do the things I need to do. See, right now, in order for those prophetic words to be fulfilled in my life, if I looked at you this morning, and hear what I'm saying this morning, if you knew what I knew in, in regards to the prophetic words spoken over my life, and I looked at you this morning, you are not the fulfillment of that word, believe me. Come on. I don't mean to be, to be unkind when I say that. You are not the fulfillment of this word. You are a process. And as this word becomes really me, it becomes real in us. Because it's a word for us, but spoken to me. Okay? So it puts hope in my heart. So when I see the church go through certain phases, good, bad, indifferent, and ugly, I still have to hold on to that word and work towards that work that these prophetic words will come to pass in my life. I have to. I have no other option. Or if I don't do that, I lose hope. I lose hope. And then you lose hope. I stop leading. You stop following. The church declines. Exodus chapter 17. He says, So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, as Moses, Aaron, and Ur went to the top of the hill. So there's another fight going on. As long as Moses held his hands up, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Ur held his hands up on one side, on the other, one on the other, so that they, his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekites' army with the sword. Then the word, then the Lord said to Moses, write on a scroll something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because 
I will uh, completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. There's an atmosphere going on downstairs. There's a battle taking place. Now think of it like this. Let's think of the context like this. If there is a battle involving people that you love, does that battle take on an extra meaning? Of course it does. Of course it does. Every time our soldiers go out to battle, families at home are sat there concerned. They're scared to turn the news on in case reports of an incident comes in, which then keeps them up all night thinking, was my son, was my son involved in that? And maybe the army's just not told me yet. It's the mother's worst nightmare, a father's worst nightmare to have a phone call or to have a knock on the door and say, excuse me, son's been killed. So here we are, we have, an, we have a battle scene here, so there must have been fear. There was, a, there was an atmosphere of fear, panic, despair, anxiety, anxiety leading to stress. Now you see, fear, as the psychologists have said to us many times, fear is what? False evidence appearing real. And I said to our authentic group the other week, the charismatic version that is, is said, the anagram of fear is forget everything and run. Forget everything and run, or false evidence appearing real. Most Christians forget everything they've been taught and run the opposite way in the midst of a battle. True? You will forget most of what you were taught this morning when you walk out that door. Like I said to you last week, Caleb held on to that word for 45 years. Some of us can't hold on to this word for 45 minutes. And because we can't hold on to the things of God for 45 minutes, how are you ever going to be strengthened in your battle? Just a thought. Just a thought. So we must be able to change atmospheres going on in our life. Everyday life is a battle. Now, it's not always intense, but nevertheless, it's a battle. If you've got children, every day is a battle. And certainly, in a certain period of the time, every day is intense. <laughs> Trying to get them ready for school, get to school, get them back out of school, getting them washed, dressed, fed, to bed. It's a mission. It's a mission. And then the older they get, it should get easier. You know what I said, should. So each and every trial circumstance is unique in its own way. Each individual circumstance trial carries its own atmosphere. Does it not? Very often, the first thing you and I will do in a trial when, when the crocodiles are biting is we call a friend rather than pray. You go into your phone book. Why don't you do this in your phone book tomorrow or tonight, even right now if your phone's there, put God in there. Put God in your phone book. Right? Message to self. First point of call is God. Hello? Now, you, you can put double naught, double six, help. You can put whatever you want in there. He hasn't got a number, but he should be the first in your book. But most people call the friends. Most people, will, it's amazing the places people to go to for advice in the middle of a crisis. Friends are not wrong, but they shouldn't always be the first port of call. The more wise and more mature we become, God should be our first 
call. You should, but it's not always. We know that. Like I say, friends, family, it's not wrong you talk to those people, but they're not God. At the best, they've only carried human wisdom. They only carry human wisdom. And though they're a great strength to us, they are not the final authority and wisdom, are they? So the battle is raging. Israel versus the Amalekites. There are destinies at stake down in the valley. There are lives at stake in the midst of this battle. But on the top of the mountain, someone's praying. Someone's praying. And that person who is praying is dictating the atmosphere downstairs. Come on, think about this. The people who are praying are determining the action downstairs. Now, this is what it says, that the moment his hands began to wane, get what happened? The enemy increased. Right. And the moment he put his hands up, now don't forget, this, this was all day till sunset. And they had to put stones under his arm to keep his arms up, because it's a long time to keep your arms up. But guess what? Destinies were taking place downstairs. And if you can't learn to fight in the midst of your battle and keep your hands up, the enemy will take ground. God is trying to teach us a, a critical lesson here that if we're going to change the atmospheres over our life, then we must do it by prayer. Prayer begins to take the battle into a different realm. The Bible says our battle is not against flesh and blood. Right, so we're not fighting against human beings. But intercessory prayer over our lives is very, very important. Now, let me just, let me just say this a minute, make a distinction. When you panic and you're not a prayer, you're not versed in prayer. Let's just say you're, you're a person who doesn't pray very often. When you panic, your prayers reflect that. Come on. When you don't know how to pray with wisdom and clarity, you just cry out, oh, God, help me. Now, God can hear that. But guess what? That cry is not going to get you everything you need. That cry will not get you everything you need. Because, some, because you don't have to read in Peter. He says, we are not like men who beat the air. But we, we know, but the, power, the prayer of a, a, a fervent man is powerful. Why? Why is it powerful? Because he knows how to pray. He knows how to pray. Now, here's, here's another one. Guys, if you don't know how to pray, how can you cover your wife? You can't keep saying, oh, God, the woman you gave me. Do you think God's going to keep answering? Do you think that's the best way to lead your wife? Just by, by SOS prayers. Come on, be honest. Because SOS panic prayers will always turn into blame. The moment I go before God and complain about Carol, God goes, whoa, 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 stop. Stop right now. I will not listen to your complaints about your wife. You are one. Pray for her. Don't moan to me about her. Speak life, tender driven words over your wife. Wives, about your husbands, stop complaining and sowing bitterness into the spirit. You're creating the wrong kind of atmosphere. Begin to pray for your husband in love. 
Overlooked. But he's doing this, he's doing that. Listen, when you were doing what you were doing, Jesus still loves you. And praise to his Father, he intercedes for us, not with bitterness. Jesus prays for you with love. Father, forgive them for they know, know what they're doing. So if I'm praying for Carol, I've got to learn to pray for Carol out of love. Lord, help her. I want my wife to be, to be like this, Lord. Lord, your word says this. I start using the word and I sow the word over Carol's life. When you're praying for situations, you've got to sow the word. SOS prayers, Lord, it's not working, da-da-da, da-da-da. That will not always get you out of trouble. At some point, you have to learn how to pray. Jesus taught the disciples how to pray. This is then how you pray. Your kingdom come. The disciples didn't know how to pray. He said, don't be like them over there who go on the streets with all the fine clothes or they go and they go and babble. There's a way not to pray. But go into your room, close the door, start praying to your father and your father knows you're there. There's a way of how to get God's attention in your issues. Start with worship. Magnify him. Lift his name up. Bring him into the atmosphere. Bring peace into your own heart. Well, I don't know how to say it. Most people don't know, they don't have a language of how to pray. They struggle. And because they never develop the language, they don't pray. So then they always get, that's why they need the friends to ask the, the friends to pray for them. Look at your kids. It's like a great classic illustration of your own kids. When they're not walking with God, what do they say? Mom, can you pray for me? Dad, can you pray for me? Why? Because they know they're not walking with God. And two, they don't have a language. And they're hoping that you're, you being good friends with God will spill over to them. It's all right. You know, it's all right. You, hey. Ask your gaffer to pray for me. It's amazing how many people say that. Have a good word. Hey, that's how, that's how many of the religious indulgences started like that. You pray to your God for us and we'll pay you. It's dangerous. So then Daniel shows us the intensity of the battle. In Daniel chapter 10, verse 12, he said, then he continued. Don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God. Just stop there a minute. So he set his mind to understand. He humbled himself before God. Listen, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Some juice, man. <coughs> so he's been resisted but the prince of Persia kingdom resisted me for 21 days then Michael one of the chief princes came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia picture the scene here Daniel's interceding Daniel's, Daniel's in problem I should say Daniel knows that the nation is dispersed. He's read the prophecies of Jeremiah and he begins to, to fast and begins to pray that God would turn the heart of, it, of the nation back to him. And as he's locked in prayer, the spirit of Persia in the heavenly realms tries to prevent the angel coming to Daniel's aid in the spirit. But notice 
the posture. Let's just set the posture of Daniel first. He just didn't pray SOS prayers. He understood the scriptures. He understood what Jeremiah had said about the nation. And he began to petition God and begin to pray. And this is what he said. The Bible's recorded Daniel's situation. From the moment, the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding, prayer brings understanding. Don't you understand that? As you begin to pray in the spirit, your spirit gets understanding. Hello? You know, very often, a lot of my revelation I receive is in prayer. As I'm walking around and praying, I get greater clarity and greater understanding. Greater revelation comes into my spirit just through me praying in tongues and praying. Stuff that I could never get ever read out of a book comes into my spirit. I have a pen. I start writing things down. And then I start praying again. And then I pray myself into clarity. Come on. I'm, not, I'm never praying SOS prayers. I'm always praying with fervency, and I'm always praying, chipping away at things all the time. Now, I've had my crisis. I've had my kids almost dying. I know what that feels like to be an SOS crisis. But you know what? Every crisis will reveal your walk before God and how confident you can ask him. When I wasn't walking right with with God and Scott was taken from the hospital, I had no confidence in God to ask for him. You know why? Because there was a bigger issue called me. I wasn't walking with God. And I thought, in my naivety and stupidity, God was punishing me. Do you honestly think God would let my child be taken from a hospital, stolen from a hospital, just to teach me a lesson? Is God that cruel? Isn't that what the world thinks? Right. But my stupidity, because I wasn't walking with God, the very thought of me talking to God about that, Put my issue with him first. But when Ben, was in, when Ben was in hospital and I needed God's help at that moment, I was confident before God. I knew how to prophesy over him. I knew how to pray for him. Why? Because I was walking right with God. Whenever there's a crisis, it'll always reveal how you're walking with God and how confident you feel before him. It will always do that. And that's when you don't feel confident, you then get on the phone and ring your 10 best friends if you've got that many. And you hope that their faith will get you through. Come on, be honest. There's nothing like you and God. And if there was nobody else on planet Earth for you, you and God must do it together. Hello? Hello? Come on. If you've got nobody else... You've got nobody else. You and God must be it. You started this thing, you and God. You must continue it with you and God. And you must finish it with you and God. I'm not saying you don't need other people. I'm not saying that. The Bible's very clear. We do need other people. But the point is, though, other people cannot be your crutch. You must be able to stand before God and pray heaven down. You must do it. And men... If you've got a family, you're responsible as the man to pray over your wife and over your children. If you're a man, you must wash your wife with the word. Don't mean get her in the bath. 
and put the Bible over her. You must be able to speak the word to her. Your words over your wife will bring health to her. Carol, how many times do I do it to you? All the time. I stop her if I feel she's going wrong. I challenge her. I talk and she does it with me. Why? Because we've decided I'm responsible for this lady. Yeah? She was special the day I married her. I've got to keep it special. So, Daniel continues, don't be afraid. Have you noticed when angels turn up, they always, the first thing they always announce is, don't freak out. <laughs> Just a little warning. You ever see a, if, listen, if you, see, if you tell me you've seen an angel and you were having tea and toast with at the bottom of your bed and you didn't freak out, I'm going to say you're a liar. Because nearly every encounter I've seen where angels turn up, they always go, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Don't freak out. Don't be afraid, he said, since the first day. This is, great, this is a great encouragement. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding, to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. You know, I remember one day going through a very, very dark encounter with my soul. The church wasn't going a, a particular good, it wasn't in a good place, I should say, at the time. And I remember just feeling overwhelmed. And, and I remember sat in, in, in Holy Trinity Church. And, and your friend just put her hand on my shoulder. She didn't know me. She didn't know anything about my situation. And she spoke a word over to me. I don't, I don't even know if she knew what she was saying, but she said it. And it just brought total confidence into my spirit that God knew, God had observed me. And God had watched me and he knew everything about what I was going through. And it was, it's so comforting when, you, when God uses somebody else to bring a word of encouragement. You just think, I'm not alone. I'm not alone after all. God is hearing me. And I'm confident now that even though I don't feel God, I don't always sense him. The room doesn't light up. I just know that God always hears me when I pray. So if God always hears me when I pray... There's no confidence. I don't have to pray panic. I don't have to panic when I'm praying. Because God hears me. I have this confidence that the moment I'm speaking, right now, he's listening to me preach. He's listening to me when I sing. He's listening to what every word I'm saying. God hears everything. And in a second, not a second, seconds too slow for God. Whatever he uses up there, what calculation, he's there. He's there. And that gives me great encouragement that I never have to pray in a, in a panic or state of panic. Anxiety and fear are human. They're human traits. And it's a beautiful thing that here he says, you humble yourself. Prayer is about humbling yourself. It's humbling yourself. Your words were heard. Wow. Your words were heard. His words created an atmosphere. His words were heard in the throne room. Now God then dispatches an angel, go to Daniel, help him in his battle. And as he goes, the enemy then intercepts en route and they're fighting for 21 days. Then God says, okay, enough. Let's just send Michael. Michael, go and sort him out. Kick some butt down there and sort it out. So Michael comes down readdresses the issue, then the angel comes to Daniel and explains from the moment you were praying, 21 days, I had to fight this, 
this power here. But now we're here. Let's get it on. The thing is, all the time that battle was going on, Daniel was creating it by his prayers. Daniel created the battle in the heavenlies by his prayers, just as Moses and Ur determined the victory of Israel through their prayer. Spiritual atmospheres. Prayer creates its own intensity. In fact, Tom was only telling me the other day as he's praying, he's having, he had a, a, a sudden experience of the rush of the river. As he's praying, boom, 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 he feels the pace coming on him. And he's praying and he gets a wonderful release in prayer. And language is coming and flowing. You think, wow, I could pray like this every day if I only knew how to do it every day. But we all go through that moment where we can just go in and pray. And we just seem to be taken away with prayer. Words are no problem. And then other days, we haven't got the faith to raise the wings of a gnat. We feel like God's abandoned us. That's when you've got to turn around. That's when I have to turn around and you have to turn around and say, no, stop right there. Yesterday, I wasn't on form. It wasn't about how good I was. That was my emotions telling me I was just getting aware of his presence drawing close. So the first thing I would tell myself, God hasn't turned his back on me. I haven't been a bad boy overnight. So I can walk before God in confidence and I begin to start praying and I try and get the atmosphere my own self and get back into that zone. It doesn't always work, but at least I try. Yes? Don't get under this grandeur that he has to, you have to feel his presence every day in the room. He has to, and there must be a glow in the corner. And an angel must come down and you must, he anoints your head. It doesn't work like that. Some days I don't hear God, but God always must hear me. Everybody struggles in prayer. But the point is, some people struggle to pray. Some people struggle praying. I don't always find the language for, I want, for what I want to say. And how many times when you're praying, you get the names of the people wrong? Well, God, you know what I mean. You know who it is. I meant Jimmy, not Bert. And then you have to start giving God a history lesson. And you have to explain. It's like, Tony, I know the situation. Pray into the situation. Don't give me the information about the situation. Me, God. You're not. Pray about the situation. Spend more time praying about the situation rather than informing God. You're not a journalist. Hello? And then he says, but the prince of the Persian, he came and he resisted. It's good that we have some resistance. Oh, that went down well, didn't it? <laughs> it's good that we have some resistance. Why? Because it's what builds character. It's what, that's what makes your prayer, when you break through, that's what makes it worth something. That's what makes these things, your relationship with God, valuable. You fought for something. You won. You came through. Victory. God's give you a testimony. You've got a stone you can put down. No one can ever take that away from you. But most people don't have any stones. And then, they've got all the, then they're trying to argue on their opinions. Shut up. I'm not interested in your opinions. Show me your proof. How God got you from here to there to there. I've got stones in my life. I can show you how God's led me. Prayer's got me through. Crossing your fingers doesn't bring him. Letters up chimneys don't bring him.
So Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Let me show you Cornelius. Very quickly. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion who was known as an, um, sorry, in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and his family were, were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. See? What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and devout soldiers, who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now, you may have heard of Cornelius, but today I feel I need to introduce him to you again. Because this guy has got an amazing character. He is a man who knows how to create an atmosphere. Let's watch. Pick it up at verse 44 of the same chapter. While Peter was still speaking, the words of the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter was astonished. The gifts of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. This is a significant moment in the church. At this point, they did not think that the gospel was for the Gentiles. This was the, this was the pivotal point. The gospel was going to go globally at this point. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And so he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This, when Peter's having his revelation on the roof and he's seeing all the different animals, this is the picture that God is trying to show him that Gentiles and Jews will be one in the kingdom. Providing they become Christians, obviously. And this was such a pivotal moment that Peter could not understand we're not allowed to associate with Gentiles. So this was a law. And here's God disobeying the law, breaking through the law. Well, not disobeying, breaking through the law, changing the law. And he came to fulfill the law anyway. So here he is trying to get Peter to see there is a mission field, Peter, beyond the Jews. And here, I'm using a man called Cornelius. A man who's known to nobody. A Roman centurion. And I'm, gonna, I'm giving him a vision and you a vision at the same time. And what I'm showing you, I'm showing him. And what I'm showing him, I'm showing you. And the two of you are going to get together. And you're going to be proved. When you see Cornelius come, you are going to understand the vision on the roof. You're going to get this, Peter, and then you're finally going to get it. And guess what? Cornelius is going to be the link, the Jew and the Gentile for the first time. Wow. This is more than just Peter having a vision. 
This is God breaking open the whole nation. So Cornelius is a man who's got character. Character. He is strong. He, he had a strong attitude. He was tough-minded. Iron disciplined and trained and a brave-hearted man. He was a soldier. So you would think a soldier being a hard man would not want entertain God. But that's not the case. He was a leader of a hundred. Hence why centurion. Cornelius was sent. Sorry, Cornelius went from being a good man to a God man. Now think of this. Cornelius is not, are you ready for this? Cornelius is not even saved. And look what's going on in his life. Wow. This is how only God knows the heart. Only God knows the heart. And here he is, he's an unbeliever. In other words, he's not saved, he's not found the risen Christ, but he's a believer in God. Okay? Have you noticed how some good, there's always good people on the earth. Don't think there's only Christians who are good people, because most Christians are not good people. They just go to church. They're not good people yet. They've not had their lives changed that sufficiently enough to call them good people. I know some people who are not Christians who make better Christians than the Christians. Yes? And it's good that our world needs good people. Without a doubt. So many, our history is full of good people. But listen, it's about time the world started writing about godly people. Our history needs to include some godly people, some new characters. Why do we have to refer back all the time to read about godly characters? Why can't we have some present day people being recognized? I believe Mandela was a good man. He shows us the way of forgiveness. How a man can be oppressed. How many years was he in from Robin Island? How many? 27 years. And came out and still taught the nation how to forgive. That is unbelievable. Many of us have not learned to forgive at that level. Beautiful. Cornelius was a man who wanted to know God. He wanted to know God. He was a worshipper. He didn't know God personally or intimately, but he was a worshipper. Now in Acts 10, in Acts 10 and verse 2, it says, He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and he prayed to God regular. So his prayer to God is set in an atmosphere over his life. Okay? He's a worshipper. He's a, he prays to God. He just hasn't had the revelation of Christ. But he loves God. Okay? He loves God. He hasn't touched the power of the Holy Spirit. He hasn't touched the resurrection of Jesus Christ on his life. But he loves God. And all his actions are proving that he loves God. Yeah? In, in verse 22 of that chapter 10, the men replied, We have come from Cornelius. So we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous, God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. Wow. A holy angel came and told him to have you, uh, us come to your house so that we could hear what you have to say. So he's a, he's a God-fearing man. Yes? Is he devout? His family were devout. Is God-fearing. He gives generously to those in need and he prays regularly. Wow. 
What a characteristic of this guy. But yet he needed a God encounter. Cornelius needs a God encounter. But what I love about Cornelius is that as Cornelius was praying, how Cornelius prayed, listen, you have the name of Jesus. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. You have greater access and greater ability to touch the heart of God than this man had. You've got far more in your arsenal. You can claim name, you can hire and fire, you can, you can rise, you can dig, you can uproot, you can pull down. You've got everything now through the name of Jesus. You've got the finished work of Christ operating in your life. You've got access to the Holy Ghost, all his power, all his miracles, all his gifts. This guy had nothing. And yet, his prayers touched the throne room. He knew how to pray. Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and they've come up as a memorial offering. Cornelius, don't ever tell me you don't know how to pray. This man shows us he just knew it. He just did it. Maybe it was conversation prayer. Well, how he did it, it came up to God. God saw his heart. Here's another thing about Cornelius. Did you notice? His own household carried the presence of God. His own household carried the presence of God. In verse 2, his whole family were devout and God-fearing. They all carried a dimension of God. But there's no Holy Ghost. There's no Jesus, knowledge of Jesus Christ. All they know is God. All they know is the Old Testament law. But still, he finds a way of connecting to the Father. He's creating a spiritual atmosphere inside his own home. Wow. He carries an immense reputation amongst the Jews. He went to worship at the synagogue because the Jews would always put apart for the, for the Gentiles Though they couldn't connect with him directly, it was a separate part. He was a worshiper. The Jews saw Cornelius and they respected him. So he has his atmosphere of prayer and his character alone has now got him a reputation, not only with God, not only has he got one with his own family, but he's got one in the community. He's a man who's touched the community just by his character of prayer and generosity. This guy, don't, you know, this guy puts us to shame. This is, he didn't have the same access to the things you and I have. And yet, look what he's doing with what he had. He was a righteous man in his dealings. He was a generous man. He gave to the poor. He was living in the Jewish community. And the community recognized he was a God-fearing man. Had he been a Jew, he'd have probably put a flea into that synagogue for sure. So he worshipped, he prayed, he attended the synagogue, he gave to the poor, and yet he still did not know Jesus. Isn't that amazing? All that, and he still did not know Jesus. But God, seeing his heart, 
through his prayers, whatever, how they, however he prayed, whether it was a well-structured, badly structured, formulated prayer, God heard him and it came up as a memorial. And God, listen, God engineered Peter to go and bring him the truth. Because the truth is, Peter was a Jew and Peter was just as blind as Cornelius until the Holy Ghost had to show the pair of them. So when Cornelius connects with Peter, Peter starts, Peter's eyes are opened and so are Cornelius' eyes. Peter can't believe that, can anyone stop these people from being baptized? Can anyone stop these people from speaking in tongues? In other words, this technology now is not only for Jews. It's for anyone. And Cornelius, all his family gets saved and baptized in one single hit. Wow. This man knew how to carry the presence of God over his life. This guy had, a, had his own atmosphere going on. Wow. Does that not encourage you? He was obedient. The moment he received an instruction from heaven, here we go, listen. The moment he received the instruction from heaven, he deployed two of his own men. Go immediately. What God has shown me, we must go. So he's not only a man who can receive God, he's a man who knows how to act on what he's hearing. That's prayer. If you're praying the right kind of prayers, God will hear you. Come from your heart. Be sincere. Daniel humbled himself. Cornelius was sincere. You can't get any more than that. Acts 10, verse 3, last scripture. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius. And Cornelius stared at him in fear. <laughs> what is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Can you imagine if an angel turned up or the Holy Spirit spoke from heaven and said, today, Tommy, Jimmy, whoever your name is, God's heard your prayer, and today it's going to be answered. Can you imagine? Today the kingdom's coming in that area. Today his will will be done in your life. Wow. Just keep praying, church. Just keep praying in your life. Keep the atmosphere in your own life buoyant. Keep it clean. Keep it clear. Pray for your family. Pray for your workplace. Don't just go to work. Pray for your work. Don't just want a vocation. You want territory. You want to be able to take the territory for the kingdom. Amen? Amen? Not only changes the atmosphere, it changes your life. Amen? Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering. Let's stand to our feet, if we will, please. I want you to have confidence before God. I want you to find confidence before God that your prayer can make a difference. Each one of us, if I gave the microphone right now and I said, close this meeting in a prayer, some would have a better vocabulary than others. True? And then if you heard the other prayer, if you heard the first person pray, it could intimidate you because you might think, well, I don't have that language. Have you noticed some people pray so elegantly and other people stutter? True? And 
when we listen to others and, and when we weigh up and compare ourselves to other people, we can feel insignificant. And we can lose our faith. And just at the same time as we compare ourselves to somebody else, we can see ourselves as more arrogant. Well, I can, I've got more flow in my prayer. The issue is not comparing with anyone. The issue is you and God finding your space. But you must find your space with God and you must keep the atmosphere. You must affect, you must create an atmosphere over your life. You must create an atmosphere for your work because whatever you, whatever you create for your life, you carry and take into your place, into your family, to your neighborhood, to your work. So church, I really want us for 21 days this year, we're going to be bringing it to you, 21 days, the battle rage. We read it in Daniel. 21 days. We're going to have our 21 days. We will have our 21 days. And we will break through, push through, and it's all going to be about prayer. Because we are going to create a spiritual atmosphere over your life. We're not going to do it for you. We're going to do it together. So once you've got this, say, if you do anything for 21 days, you create a new habit. So if we can keep the atmosphere over our hearts and over our lives open and clean, why can't we see God move like he moved for Daniel, like he moved for Caleb, for Moses, for Joshua? Why can't we see God move in our lives, like he moved on Cornelius' life, like he moved on Peter's life. Who's to say, well, you're praying, somebody else isn't praying, and God uses your prayer, shows you something in your prayer to go and open up the whole realm for them. Do you understand that? Peter opened up the way to salvation for the Gentiles. Not fully understanding it himself. But guess what? When Cornelius stepped in, he said, I have been prepared for this. My life has been prepared for this. I've been praying to God, and God has heard me, and I'm the first to step in. Me and my kind are going to come into this. And guess what? Today, right now, people, Cornelius and his kind, are still stepping into the kingdom. Amen? So if God gives you a vision on the roof tonight, he's showing you something. Why? Because he wants you to go further. Let's just raise our hands, if you will. Father, we're sat on our rooftop now, oh God, just like Peter sat. We're a Cornelius. We've got a room full of Cornelius's, Lord, who don't necessarily have a formulated language, well-polished language. But, oh God, they have a heart and a fear of God in their lives. Father, we have the two extremes. And God, what we need is you in the middle to bring us closer to yourself. Peter was just as far away as Cornelius, yet in a completely different way. And yet, Lord, you brought them both to your heart, to your will, to your purpose, by you speaking to them. But, oh God, it was kick-started by them speaking to you. So, Father, this week, I pray, oh God, that you will bring us into greater understanding. We're going to apply our hearts. We're going to humble our hearts. We're going to apply our hearts to understanding, Lord, and you're going to speak to us. Father, we're going to do it with an ordinary language. You're going to give us our own language, our own confidence. Everyone's going to have their own confidence in prayer. Everyone's going to be given their own language to speak in prayer. And that's going to be the, that's going to be the igniter of the atmosphere. God is going to give you the language. Come on, right now, say, Father, I receive it. I receive the language. 
My tongues, my speaking in tongues is going to develop. It's going to stretch. My natural language is going to, is going to, my vocabulary is going to be stretched. You're going to give me new words, Father, right now. New ways of expressing my heart to your heart, Father. Right now, I receive a new vocabulary. It's coming into my spirit right now. Come on, it's right now it's come. God is hearing you pray. If you're sincere, God is going to give you a new vocabulary right now to charge the atmosphere over your own life. Come on, church. Don't hold back now. He's giving you a new vocabulary to begin to express who he is in your midst. He's the Lord your God. He wants you to be able to express him. He wants you to have confidence before him. He wants you to have boldness before him. He wants you to have courage before him. (coughs) Come before him right now. Lord, give me new language. I want to express myself to you, oh God. I want to express my love towards you in a clear, clean way. Oh, Father, right now. I receive a download of the Holy Ghost into my life today. Oh, mighty God. Oh, Robo Shetelema Maria Dalla Barbarianda. Oh, Recibatara Marianda. Oh, Tumoboloni. Sharama Sabatalande. Oh, Rakiba Sandilema. Oh, Tumobolongi. Shamara Makiri Enchendele Mara Catorianda. Oh, Tatuama Suai, Rake Patene Nekora, Shibatarianda. Oh, mighty God. A language, oh God, a language to communicate with you. Oh, Rababa Kari, I said, God is charging up the atmosphere. It's charging up the atmosphere. Shela Mamariandolo Bobo Kurianda. Keraba Sarian, that's it. Oh, Rossi Patarayanda. Maria Toro Bobo Coriande. Mara Bakiriande. Moro Yataravanda. Holy Ghost is moving right now. He's giving you some of you. I see him upgrading. I see him downloading to upgrade you right now. Giving you language, scriptural scriptures to to speak into the atmosphere. Oh, mighty God! Receive him, receive him, receive him right now. Receive him right now. Oh, Rababa Karianda. Oh, mighty God! The Bible says that when they heard, when the men outside. Heard the disciples speaking in tongues in their own languages. They were astounded. God gave them the power of the Holy Ghost in the upper room to change the atmosphere. What came out of that room affected the men on the ground. And each one heard God speak to them in their own language. Oh, mighty God. Father, language is everything. You've given us a language, a heavenly language, your language you've given to us. We read this morning, oh God, from out of John, that you're praying. You're praying for us. You're praying for us in this world. Father, one of the ways we can, you, your prayer for us is, that, is to give us your language so that we can soak the atmosphere. 
saturate the atmosphere. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's give the Lord a stand ovation.